0: Welcome beautiful people to Camp Koji, my name is Joel and thank you for joining me as I break down the biggest gaming news in the week that was on the only podcast you will ever need. Now in today's episode we're going to talk about Activision expanding its Call of Duty factory, Xbox falling back in love with PC and EA's obsession with loot boxes, but first let's talk about Cyberpunk 2077 and a new report from Jason Schreier aka CD Projekt Red's Prime Nemesis. Released an article outlining bonuses on the way for the game's executives. Now, before I go into the numbers of what these executives are going to walk away with this year, the typical CEO among the 1,000 biggest publicly traded companies in the United States receives an approximately 144 times more than their median employee and that's according to data compiled by Bloomberg now according to the company's annual report CD Projekt CEO Marcin Iwinski and co-CEO Adam Kaczynski are each slated to receive a bonus of 24 million zloty which is the currency over in Poland and the currency exchange into United States dollars is 6.3 Million dollars. Adam Badowski, who is a board member and the director of Cyberpunk 2077, will take home about 4.2 million dollars. Now, these bonuses are part of an annual profit sharing plan and are based on the company's 2020 net earnings, which jumped more than 500 percent. Now, some employees told Bloomberg they will receive profit sharing bonuses of about five thousand dollars to about nine thousand dollars. While other more senior employees said they will get closer to 15,000 or 20,000. Managers and directors will likely receive much higher bonuses. Now, in a statement, a CD Project spokesperson said, and, and, and I want everyone to really listen to the statistic right here: a CD Project spokesperson said the company had allocated a total of $29.8 million to 865 employees. Now, that comes down to an average of about $34,000 each. But that's not an even split, even though I just gave you the average of it. If you're a tester, for example, you definitely make less much, less, less money per year. And you're probably not even probably for most companies, you're at the bottom of the totem pole in terms of what your input was and how much you are paid. Most of the time, testers are paid. Through minimum wage, so their salary of excuse me, their bonus is definitely not going to be thirty-four thousand dollars. It's probably closer to what I read in the beginning of that statement, which was five thousand to about nine thousand and maybe even less. On top of this bonus, I do have to note that, or excuse me, Bloomberg did note that staff also received separate smaller performance bonuses earlier this year. Now, in contrast, so once again, a total of 29.8 million dollars was split amongst 865 employees. In contrast, just five of CD Projects board members received bonuses totaling $28 million. Now that's an average of about $5.6 million per person. Now, if you combine both of these bonuses, it's about $57.8 million that CD Project read pretty much split in half and that number of 57.8 million dollars they probably came to that conclusion in terms of this is the money that we're going to set aside for bonuses for the year 2020 that's based upon a percentage calculated from whatever their revenue was for the entire year so from what we learned i think it was the last episode of the episode before last one talking about cd project red talking about their earnings they posted earnings of i think it was over 500 million dollars so you can see it was roughly about 10% of that was allocated towards bonuses. But once again, that's a total of $57.8 million. One half of that is to be shared amongst 865 people. And the other half is to be shared by just five people. Now, when I asked on the investor call last week whether it was appropriate For the board to take such hefty bonuses, Konziski said that the compensation had always been tied to the company's profits, saying, quote, we earned this money and the company earned this money, of course, but more net profits equals more bonuses. So while we have results, we get bonuses, and that's the contract that we have. So pretty much what he's bringing up is what we already know for pretty much every CEO, not just in the United States, but pretty much all around the world, which is the only way that these CEOs will take a more realistic bonus because let's be perfectly honest let's let the truth have its day there is no reason why a single human being should walk away with a five million dollar bonus while there are employees that definitely put in way more hours put in way more work than that CEO and they're walking away with a bonus of five six thousand dollars. That's just ridiculous. <laughs> like there's no other, there's really no other way to put it. So when a CEO is asked that question, as Kaczynski was, which is, do you think it's appropriate for you to take this much money? Their answer is always going to be the same, which is, well, this is how my contract is set up. The company made more money, so you know that means my bonus is going to be much bigger and and that's it that's really the end of the sentence the issue that we're running into a lot when it comes to wealth disparity especially when we talk about here in the United States with CEOs walking away with so much money I just talked about this I believe it was last week's show which was a GameStop CEO that was leaving the company and walking away with over 100 million dollars just to leave the company there's something inherently wrong with something like that and you rarely are going to come across a ceo that will willingly take a pay cut so the rest of the employees do not have to right so i always bring up the example of iwata and the rest of the board at nintendo and iwata excuse me iwata especially may you rest in peace taking a excuse me willingly taking a pay cut which i believe was about a 50 percent pay cut when the nintendo wii was doing very badly and then again when it excuse me not the nintendo wii that that did not do bad when the nintendo wii u was doing badly and when the nintendo 3ds was not doing so good either it's going to be a unicorn that's a unicorn ceo someone who will willingly take a cut and at the end of the day when we're talking about five people that are splitting over 50 million dollars and excuse me that is wrong that are splitting about 28 million dollars these five ceos could go to dinner together and say what we're all thinking which is guys it was our decision to ship this game in an extremely broken state our employees maybe in may, it might, some of them directly but a lot of them indirectly got a heck of a lot of shit From fans, because we shipped a broken game. And usually, the people that are going to be, that they're going to point their fingers at, are going to be the developers and the coders and the testers that somehow missed all these bugs, even though, spoiler alert, they did not miss those bugs. The CEOs knew that the game was broken and they still decided to ship it. So, instead of having this thought process of, man, our employees went through a heck of a lot of shit right now, we're probably going to run into a lot of turnover because what happened. How about we we keep our employees happy? How about we essentially do the right thing here? And how about we each take $2 million each on average? It's like a, a $5 million bonus. Put the rest into a pot, that whatever that is, $10 million, and get that split once again. Maybe do an even split on that amount for the rest of the employees or put that towards new resources and upgrading the facilities that are, you know, Any there, there are tons of things that you can do. And this is why we get into this conversation of how much money does one human being need? Do you need that third house? Do you need that fifth car, right? Do you need to live in a house that has 14 bathrooms, right? At the end of the day, when you have, and you, when you are running a company where employees are having to work Three jobs, for example, in order to even make things make ends meet. And we are at a point in our history as a human race where unfortunately greed begets greed. And the only way to stop CEOs from taking so much of a bonus is to essentially put a cap into their contract when they sign onto a company. So when a contract is made up amongst the board, basically, The same thing will be said, 10% will be allocated towards bonuses and CEOs will bonus this much of a percentage based upon revenue, but we are implementing a cap of $2 million if there's money left over that gets So if, if that type of clause is not written to the contract, it's once again, you're encountering a unicorn in terms of how many, not just CEOs, but how many human beings out there will say, man, you know what? I could get five million dollars and be able to buy myself a third boat or i can take just a one million dollar bonus knowing full well that four million dollars that i did not take will be split evenly amongst the people that need it versus me the person who just wants it because these ceos do not need that extra four or five million dollars matter of fact none of them even need this bonus at all they just Want it? You don't need this money. Most of the CEOs own a big chunk of the shares of the company, and look at the end of the day, the stock for City Project definitely took a hit, but it will get back up to where it was. It will surpass that rate, especially once they start talking about the next Witcher game. Even though I've talked about how their brand has taken a hit, I always like to say that gamers, as a majority, have the shortest term memory i think i've ever seen and once they see the witcher and it looks really incredible they're just probably going to forget about any of this stuff actually happening like yeah maybe they'll take less pre-orders because of it maybe more people will wait for reviews before they pick up the game but i don't think that as long as they put out a quality product and they're a lot more transparent with witcher 4 than they were with cyberpunk 2077 they really shouldn't have an issue and before i move on to the next point i will say i've never been the ceo of a company i guess camp koji is the first company that i've ever been a ceo for but i've been a leader and a manager at varying companies and i will tell you right now as a leader we definitely do less work than the people on the front lines like yes we're you know above the chessboard and we're moving the pieces in order to do things efficiently and get things done but basically if you're a ceo you're a leader of a company you have to look at it as you're the one that's pointing out where to put out the fires in order to really control the forest let's say there's a forest fire you're the person that's saying hey if we put out a fire if we put out this fire that fire this fire we can stop it from spreading right but who's doing more work the person pointing and saying hey we have to put out this fire or is it the firefighters are actually in the heat right in the middle of that forest, actually putting it out and that's really kind of the difference right the architect gets paid more than the builder but there's no way that i'm going to sit here and say that the architect deserves a bigger bonus than the builder who is sacrificing their body it's just not the right way to look at it Now, keeping up with CEOs and their pay, we're going to talk about Bobby Kotick. So according to recent SEC filings, the big baby baller Bobby Kotick, CEO of Activision Blizzard, is getting his salary cut in half from $1.7 million to just a measly $875,000 for The 2021 and 2022 fiscal years, I don't know how Bobby Kotick is going to survive on just $875,000, but thoughts and prayers to Bobby Kotick. Hopefully he makes it. Maybe he can ask for a PPP loan or something like that, get some government assistance. So hopefully he makes it through. This is brutal. Kotick can still earn an annual bonus for these years, up to 200% of his new smaller salary so just to repeat that he's now making $875,000 but he's still eligible for bonuses up to 200% of that that new pay which is $875,000 given the trajectory of Activision Call of Duty is probably at its most popular right now and uh, we can definitely say that that's probably just going to keep growing. Now, this comes after Activision Blizzard investors express issues with Bobby Kotick's pay and bonuses with the CTW Investment Group pointing out in a 2020 statement that Activision Blizzard employees, quote, typically earn less than one third of one percent of the CEO's earnings, with some earning under 40000 dollars now this once again just keeping up with this theme of CEOs will never do anything unless they are forced to do it this is a perfect example because it's not we're not in this dimension where Bobby Kotick stepped up and said you know what I see that a lot of my employees are number one suffering number two Activision the company has gone through a lot of cuts within the last few years not only just cuts but a lot of consolidation in terms of the way that their studios operate which we will be talking about shortly and anytime that you do any sort of consolidation in terms of pulling teams from one project to another or pulling teams from one building to be absorbed by another. More times than not, there are cuts done along the way. So if you figure out like, hey, this job takes 10 total people and each company had 10 people each in order to get this one job done. Hey, guess what? Now I could shrink this department down to 15. I'm pretty sure a a combination of 15 people can get this part of the project done and we can just let these other five people go. And that's usually what happens, right? So it's not like Bobby Kotick stepped up and said, hey, you know what, I really don't need this bonus or I really don't you know I'm doing really good with my bonuses we're talking about multi-billionaire here I'm doing really good with my bonuses with my stocks or my stock options I can definitely cut my pay down in half in order to to allocate that money either to new hires either to a a annual pay raise for a lot of uh, employees or bumping up yearly bonuses or additions to facilities or anything else that would basically benefit the employees of your company. And this is basically echoing what I literally just talked about Cyberpunk with the Cyberpunk story, which is CEOs will not do something unless they are forced to do something. Remember, this is essentially the difference between wanting more money and needing more money. And most of these employees need more money i always like to say the definition of a minimum wage if you work at a company and a company pays you a minimum wage what that company is essentially telling you is if i could pay you less I would but unfortunately because of the law I cannot pay you less than $15 in some parts of the United States. The minimum wage is $7.50. Like imagine that maybe it's lower in some other states. I think here in New York it's already reached 15 But think about having to live on $7 an hour. It's I mean that's pretty much in Possible. It's really, really hard to do something like that. Now, sticking with Activision, last week Activision owned studio Toys for Bob, the team behind Skylanders and the recent Spyro trilogy and Crash 4, announced that it was going to provide development support for the latest season of Call of Duty Warzone. The company tweeted Toys for Bob is proud to support development for season three of Call of Duty Warzone and look forward to more to come unfortunately along with this news several employees were let go including character and concept designers behind crash 4 but it does appear that this might have more to do with work being essentially complete on crash 4 rather than just moving this team over to support call of duty but either way anyone losing their job is always terrible news especially in our industry it seems to happen more and more often now with this move this means that every single Activision studio is working on Call of Duty. Toys for Bob is working on Warzone Season 3 content. Raven Software, a team best known for Soldier Fortune, Star Wars Jedi Economy, Marvel Ultimate Alliance, but now has been a support studio for Call of Duty since 2010, Activision Shanghai exists just to work on Call of Duty Online. Demonware does server support for Call of Duty. High Moon Studios, the team behind Transformers and 2013's Deadpool, now helps support Call of Duty development. Beanox, who has been working on Call of Duty since Black Ops 3. And then, of course, you have Infinity War, Treyarch, and Sledgehammer that have been taking turns developing Call of Duty games for the last decade now most other studios they own have been absorbed by call of duty teams such as NeverStop, for example if you guys remember they used to develop the tony hawk pro Skater games when they first created them and this happened years back i'm just bringing it up in terms of how many studios is activision own pretty much outside of every studio that i just named every other team that they've purchased has been absorbed into other teams such as for example neversoft and gray matter interactive these are companies that activision went out and purchased and at some point they just said you know what call of duty is what makes us money we're just gonna move you over into another team now this is pretty insane to think about because when i first came across this story i came across it in terms of reading up pretty much every Activision studio is working on Call of Duty and it wasn't until I did my research that I did in fact find out that as I just as I just mentioned actually every single Activision studio so there's no other studio that Activision owns that is not working on Call of Duty (laughs) obviously they used to own Bungie Bungie's now independent if they still own Bungie maybe that would kind of be the only one because they have so much to deal with with destiny 2 but as we know it now every single studio is working on call of Duty at this moment and I mean it this this was a little heartbreaking to read because as I started going through some of these studios I started to really realize like sometimes you know obviously our industry was huge and even I forget you know we've gone through so many acquisitions within the last five to seven years And sometimes you just sort of forget, number one, what company went to another company. And sometimes you sort of, on top of that, you forget, you know, what IP went where, who actually owns an intellectual property once all of these moves are made. A lot of that stuff can get very complex and very complicated. But as I was researching the story, and then I essentially remembered, because I completely forgot that Activision did buy Raven Software at one point. And once again, you're talking about a very talented team when we think about marvel ultimate alliance as as a perfect example i mean that game is like kind of a a classic right there's no one that i've personally met that would not agree that marvel ultimate alliance is an absolute classic and now to think that that team has now been taken away from that and you're essentially put into a factory now all you're doing is working on call of duty potentially for the rest of your career unless you decide to leave Activision and as we know our industry is very very fickle it's not as easy to go from one company to another especially since so many of them are spread out not just amongst the United States but in different parts of the world which is why I I was very kind of you know, excited, I guess, in terms of the ramifications of what COVID-19 meant for our industry, which meant that hopefully more and more employees will be able to work from home, which means that they will have bigger opportunities in order to be employed at other companies without being forced to move into that facility. So, you know, to think that Toys for Bob now is at risk, and this is essentially at risk <laughs> of being taken away from their projects of creating more Crash Bandicoot games which Crash 4 for example was you know, with all intents and purposes it was a success it was a commercial success probably not this huge blowout in terms of sales but i i feel confident enough to say that was a commercial success and it was also a critical success you also have to think about everything else that came before it so the spiral trilogy was also something that they did that, that was really really well done the skylanders franchise like yes skylanders at some point fizzled out but i think even activision knew that this was a fad that they were working onto in terms of toys to life for example but I mean, even, you know, we're not talking about whether you like or dislike Skylanders. You have to respect what they were able to do. I mean, it was really, really huge at the apex of that franchise. So to think that now you have this company and put yourself in the shoes of an employee who's working on this fun, you know, vibrant, cartoony, platformer, really lighthearted, comedic type of game, and now you're being forced to be moved over into a game where you know you're just essentially shooting other people and you know you're not even talking about single-player content you're talking about just support for call of duty Warzone, which is obviously the free to download battle royale variant of call of duty so you know it it also reminds me of the other studio oh jesus what was the name of the studio i want to say vicarious but I feel like that's not right, which was a studio that just remade Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 1 plus 2. They were absorbed into one of the Call of Duty studios. I honestly can't remember which one. And it's just sort of sad to see things like that happen, which is you put your heart and soul into a game that did well, but unfortunately it's not doing as well as Call of Duty. So for that reason, we're going to have to take you away from this team now activision did confirm that toys for bob is still the lead developer of crash 4 and that's probably more in line with a if they decide to release any more skins or dlc and continue to support the game in some way you know just a few months ago they did have a next gen update or you know support just in terms of obviously just general support updates and bug fixes and things like that But now we're kind of at this crossroads where Toys for Bob is essentially in this moment where it's like, man, will we now be able to get a brand new Spyro game after seeing how well, you know, not just Activision, but Toys for Bob has been able to essentially revive Crash Bandicoot as a character. Let's be honest, Crash Bandicoot was lost in the abyss for about a decade there until Activision decided to redo the trilogy and Toys for Bob was able to essentially bring it back. And the same thing essentially happened with Spyro. So it seems like Activision is now taking this direction where two things are happening. Number one, they're putting such a an intense focus on Call of Duty. And number two, it seems that now they're focusing more on legacy content more so than pouring money into a brand new intellectual property so i mean you know we'll just kind of have to sit back and and see how all of this plays out for me this kind of reminded me of a few things number one is seeing how many studios they have dedicated to a singular franchise it proves what i've been saying on this show for a very long time which is it's it's we're at a point right now where activision needs to separate call of Duty's multiplayer from call of Duty's single player very very similar to what we've seen rockstar doing with grand theft auto we now know that the next generation of grand theft auto is going to be separated gta online will be its own thing we know that right now red dead online and is, is its own thing you can purchase that separately this is the future not for every single game but this is the future for really, really big, expansive multiplayer games that you as a company are committed to continually, continually growing. At the end of the day, whenever you bring out a brand new Call of Duty, you are fragmenting your multiplayer base every single time. So when you think about Call of Duty Mobile, there's only one Call of Duty Mobile. There's not Call of Duty Mobile and then you know, at the end of this year, there's going to be Call of Duty Black Ops Mobile, right? There's only one. And that way you can have a much smaller team that you need right now, which is, I mean, what what was that? Like nine studios, for example, working on Call of Duty with a lot of those studios working purely on Call of Duty Warzone, for example. You can shorten those studios down and essentially just continually update a Call of Duty multiplayer and I think there still is a demand for single-player content and now you're able you're able to have an even more dedicated team just to single-player content where you can have a lot more fun with those stories and they're completely separate from the multiplayer and you can have this renewed focus on it or on top of that if you're going to start putting so many studios towards Call of Duty and you see that, hey, you know what, this is the game, this is the IP that will continue to help our company grow for the next decade, then, I mean, do something different. Make a Call of Duty RTS, make a Call of Duty third-player stuff game or something like that. For all this, you know, all these resources to be tied up purely on a singular genre, which is first-person shooter for a singular intellectual property, I mean, there's so many options that you can do when it comes to this, but absolutely 100% Activision needs to separate Call of Duty's multiplayer from the single player. And I hope that at some point they come to that conclusion because it's something that's sorely, sorely needed. Now, our next story deals with Xbox. Last week, Microsoft reported its result. For its fiscal third quarter, showing the company's gaming business jumped 50% year over year. Now, for the three months ending March 31st, Microsoft said its personal computing division saw revenue up 19% to $13 billion and credited gaming as the primary driver of that growth. Xbox hardware was up 232% year over year for the quarter. Total Xbox content and services revenue rose. 34% in the quarter Minecraft's monthly active users were up by 30% year over year to almost 140 million And the company has also generated over 350 million dollars in player spending from mods add-ons and other downloadable content inside of Minecraft according to Windows Central senior editor Jez Corden actually no. know before I even move on to the rest of the story let's just go over these numbers and a few things Number one, it shows that the investment that Microsoft made in the Xbox division, excuse me, in the Xbox division, is starting to pay off more and more, especially as I've said a hundred times on this show, especially as our industry moves towards being more in line with every other entertainment industry that we know, whether it's music, film, or TV shows, which is instant gratification. You know, no downloads, very easy to access, cloud gaming, synergy in terms of not having to worry where you're playing a device, but more having to worry on, you know, at what time you play a device, whether it's on your phone. You know, just recently I started testing out the xCloud beta on iOS, and yet yeah, it's a little bit rough. You know, I haven't the, the latest iPhone and, you know, Playing it on 5G, I was playing like Guacamelee 2, which is, isn't is like a super intense game. And it works. There are a little bit of glitches here and there, and it's still kind of slow to start up the game. But there's definitely a lot of potential there. And, and streaming on PC, especially, obviously, if you have it connected by Ethernet, or Wi-Fi is, is near flawless, pretty much. And the fact that, you know, everything just kind of carries over all your progress, once again, it's not something that you have to think about, which has kind of been something that Xbox is done a really really good job on and the back end of the Xbox ecosystem is the fact that you as a consumer don't have to stop and think about these things right when you watch Netflix on your TV and all of a sudden you have to go on the bus you don't have to pick up your Netflix and and remember man where where did I leave off you know that as soon as you click Netflix you're going to be left off exactly where you were when you left your house so this shows a a few things like I said number one that that investment is starting to pay off and will pay in dividends going into the future especially all of the money and resources that Microsoft invested into the Azure technology once again this is not something that's just for gaming we know that Sony had previously had conversations with uh, Microsoft about using Azure technology for PlayStation and other Sony services we really don't know what the results of that conversation were, but as far as we are concerned, that agreement was still in place. And uh, obviously once again, that Azure technology is something that can be applied to very, very different industries. So, And then the other thing is, you know, the Xbox CEO is, I mean, this this guy pretty much doesn't even need a resume anymore at this point, (laughs) you know, this guy can go absolutely anywhere at this point because of what he's been able to do with Xbox. And the other things are Jess Corden. So according to Windows Central Senior Editor Jess Corden, as of April 20th, Xbox Game Pass subscribers number had topped 23 million. Now this means that their average growth has gone from 1 million new subscribers per month to 1.25 million, which puts them on track to surpass 30 million by the end of the year. This is something I predicted A few months ago on this show that they would be able to reach thirty million and just, you know, using simple math. But at this point, they're more on track to probably surpass thirty-three million by the end of twenty twenty-one, not just because of all that they've been doing with Game Pass. Obviously that prediction I made was before EA play. That prediction was, I think, even before they did the Bethesda acquisition, that prediction was before Microsoft started getting even more aggressive with getting third-party games day one. We know, that you know, things like Outrider, MLB The Show 21, Dragon Quest Builders 2 is coming this week and launching day one on Game Pass, EA's Knockout City, which the moment that they showed that game, I said, this is a perfect game pass game and because of the ea play deal microsoft is bringing that to game pass day one when it launches later this month so all these things that that they've been doing and on top of what i'm about to talk about when it comes to halo i mean it's not far-fetched to see that they're gonna surpass 33 million maybe even cap at 35 million for the year so like i said at this point phil spencer can pretty much go wherever the heck he wants. If he chooses to take another job at a company, what he's been able to do for Xbox. And I've you know said this before, which is Xbox has always been clear cut third place. When we think about our industry, we've always looked at Nintendo and, and Sony as number one and two, and they've kind of gone back and forth. Number one, Nintendo in the early days. And then Sony kind of jumped up when we talk about the PlayStation two era, for example, But right now, we're at a point in our industry where there is no number one, two, and three. All three of the big players in our industry, and even, you know, we can even toss PC in there, all four of the big players in the gaming industry are all individually doing amazing. And there really is no clear-cut first, second, third place because according to the metrics set for each company, they're all doing really, really well, right? Nintendo is still selling an absolute ton of software per year for the biggest drivers on top of still being the best-selling system for definitely like over 26 straight months here in the United States. PlayStation in terms of their metrics for hardware they're still doing really really well especially also with first-party content and then if you look at Xbox's metrics in terms of what they consider to be successful we're now saying Game Pass is really just upping 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 that subscriber count more so than we've ever seen them do ever before now the other thing was that halo infinite was another thing that they had brought up which is halo infinite is now supporting multiplayer crossplay and cross progression when it releases later this year they did confirm that it is releasing later this year now because of this change as being that is being brought to halo infinite and obviously now that we think about it the fact that they're just now announcing this means that this would not have been ready even if the game were to launch this year. So the fact that it will launch or they're making a commitment that is going to launch day one with not only cross play, but cross progression. This is something that I've talked about a lot before that more and more companies when you're making a multiplayer game that has to be one of the first bullet points as we go into the future years you know 2022 and beyond this will become more and more an expectation from gamers that if you are adding a multiplayer game and putting it across uh, different ecosystems that there has to be not only just cross play but cross progression and most of us really really want that to be there day one now with just a single announcement i mean I've, i'm already the type of person that game pass is pretty much a no-brainer i understand that some people still like to collect the physical or they just want to buy the copy individually, maybe they're worried about digital adoption and what might happen in the future, I get all of those things. But this makes Game Pass an absolute no brainer if you're a Halo Infinite fan, because at this point, when this game launches, let's say in November, and you're paying those $15 a month, not only do you have access to the Xbox One, Xbox Series X version, but you also have access to the PC version. And now you'll be able to essentially like, let's look at it this way. You'll be able to play Halo Infinite at home, play a quick match on your Xbox Series X. Then you'll be able to go on the, you know, go go on the bus. I always use the bus instead of the train because I'm thinking about underground here in New York City. You go on the bus or, you know, you're at the doctor's office, whatever. You want to put in a quick match of Halo. You got your controller with you all your everything that you do in that match will you know stay saved across all the platforms And you come back home now you're playing the pc version i mean this makes the game pass version of this game that 15 dollars a month pretty much a no-brainer and as we know about halo when we think about halo historically this is a game that if you're in multiplayer you're there for the entire generation right so Halo Infinite, Microsoft has already pretty much confirmed. I I can't say definitively, but I'm fairly certain that they already confirmed this, that Halo Infinite is like a seven year project. This isn't something that you're going to be playing Halo Infinite multiplayer for a few years and then there's going to be Halo Infinite Infinite 2 or whatever, right? Maybe they'll do single player expansions like a Halo Reach kind of thing, right? That might be kind of cool or ODST sort of thing but they need to keep infinite multiplayer multiplayer. And the other thing to remember is that the multiplayer is also free to play. So at the end of the day, there's just so much going on with the synergy between all of the different versions of this game that pretty much picking up on Game Pass is a no-brainer. And, you know, at that point, you're going to continue interacting with everything else, but that's like the one thing that like that connective tissue to keep everything going across platforms. Um, especially when you think about also single player progress. I mean there's just so much that will continue you know moving this 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 game over the top in terms of sales. Now the PC version will also include support for ultra wide and super ultra wide screens, triple keybinds, a wide variety of events, graphics options and more, which is a major key right now when it comes to Halo. If we know historically, if I'm not mistaken, This will be the first Halo game to launch on console and PC day one. And it's been so infinitely important for PC players because they've always felt like second class citizens when it came to the Halo franchise. It's important to put your best foot forward and way ahead of launch, kind of tell PC players, hey, let me tell you about the things that we're doing just for you guys to make sure that when this game launches... You're going to get everything that you expect, which is keybind, whether it's keybind options, the super ultra wide options, field of view, unlock frame rate, all these things that PC players have come to expect from any game that launches on this on their system, rather than this, this just being an Xbox Halo game that we are also porting over to PC. So it's very, very good that 343 came forward and said, look, we're putting a lot of focus on a PC version. Because at the end of the day, if Microsoft does everything just right, especially I've been talking about like this is the perfect time for Microsoft and Xbox to expand their eSports program. I think the Gears of War eSports is still really, really strong if you're a fan, but there's no way that that will be any bigger than Halo. And if you were to do a Halo eSports It would instantly become one of the biggest esports in the world so hopefully that's what they're thinking about but the biggest microsoft news from last week was that starting august 1st the microsoft pc store will increase developer revenue cut from 70% to 88%. Now, on top of that, The Verge reported that according to confidential documents filed in the Epic Games versus Apple case, Microsoft is also planning to make a similar adjustment to the Xbox store. So right now, definitively, PC game cuts are going from 70% to 88%. This confidential document alluded that it was also coming to Xbox games at some point this year basically moving all games from a 70-30 cut to an 88-12% cut meaning that the store owner which is Microsoft they're taking instead of taking sorry instead of taking 30% they're just taking 20-12% and developers instead of getting 70 they will now be getting 88 percent of that cut and that applies to the sale of an individual video game and it also applies to every single microtransaction and dlc bought within that store that cut still applies but a microsoft spokesperson did say quote we will not be updating the revenue split for console publishers now this would have been a big deal this would have cut their revenue by over 50% instantly if they would have done the same thing to the Xbox store Microsoft PC store is nowhere near as successful as the Xbox store and I was alluding on my Twitter that this could be a very aggressive move from Microsoft now we know that it's not true but what I will say is that I think that it's not entirely true but I think there is some truth to it I could see Microsoft lowering their cut for indie developers, for example, in order to bring more of them in or, you know, maybe adjusting more individual contracts and that sort of be a way to sort of bleed out Sony, we know that Sony is going to start going into this really big third-party acquisition phase so we think about smaller studio games that are coming to playstation 5 exclusively or playstation 4 we're thinking about kenna bridge of spirits for example solar ash is another example now if solar ash if you're going to the table to discuss a deal with sony and you know sony typically takes a 70 cut excuse me sony typically takes a 30 cut the same applies to nintendo and you go up to them and tell them well Microsoft is actually only taking 12 percent so now you're basically you know by proxy you're increasing (laughs) uh, the amount of money that Sony will now be required to pay for exclusivity if they want to continue this tactic of going and scooping up these smaller games so I think that is something that I could see Microsoft considering and across the board Xbox cut That's something that is still potentially on the table, but probably five, six years from now, when Microsoft is getting a lot more expected revenue from Game Pass, for example, we can maybe see something like that happening, and and their hardware costs would 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 maybe at that point begin to lower in terms of their manufacturing costs because maybe more and more people will be buying less systems if you know they're really happy with what the cloud is doing and it's on your TV, it's on your computer, all these dedicated apps, for example. So there are kind of a lot of things that they could do with this, but the move definitely adds more pressure to Steam. Uh, you know, if you guys remember when Epic first announced that they were taking only 12% from developers. Tim Sweeney did say that one of his goals was to encourage other stores to do so. So it's pretty cool to see Microsoft following suit. Now, you know, the one thing definitely to keep in mind, once again, Microsoft's PC store is an absolute mess. Luckily, I think it was like just maybe like a month or two ago, Microsoft did confirm that they were overhauling the store, which is great in preparation for this to come. Because they definitely need to do an overhaul of that store. It's just absolutely awful right now. So at this point, this cut doesn't really move the needle too much. Like I don't see Valve looking at this cut from Microsoft and saying, oh man, now we have to to lower 12%. The only way that Steam will lower their take from 30 down to just 12% is if Epic begins to start growing at a very, very rapid pace which is why Epic is really fighting this Apple lawsuit, you know, is because they want to put the Epic Game Store on the App Store and that will obviously elevate things a lot more. You see Epic experimenting with putting Spotify and all these different applications on there. It looks like they're trying to find every single avenue to try to grow as fast as possible in order to put even more pressure on Steam because at the end of the day, the when Steam lowers their cut, Epic benefits because they own Unreal Engine. That means that more and more people will hopefully get into development and development would be a lot cheaper at that point. You'll be able to make more revenue, which at the end of the day will put more po- more money into Epic's pocket. So I really like Tim Sweeney. He's playing, he really is playing the uh, the long game now final story deals with ea last week an insider leaked a 54 page internal presentation to cbc claiming proof that ea is trying to drive players into spending more money on loot boxes one slide shared by cbc says We have more active players at this point in FIFA than ever before, along with players will be actively messaged and incentivized to convert throughout the summer. And FIFA Ultimate Team is the cornerstone and we are doing everything we can to drive players there. Another slide called Turning Up the Heat discusses strategies for converting customers to FIFA Ultimate Team consumers. Now on the surface, this sounds very predatory, right? When we think about things like turning up the heat, And uh, what was the other quote that I had here? You know, we are doing everything we can to drive players to do this. Now, it it sounds predatory, but this type of speak is actually very, very normal (laughs) when it comes to marketing. Like when you are the head of a marketing team and, and you're pretty much the head of this division where you have a singular purpose and a singular job, marketing the game and trying to get you know, as many people to purchase as possible. This type of language is used pretty much in anything that you can think of. I guarantee you there's a Microsoft Game Pass slide somewhere within Xbox, where they're talking about, we're gonna do everything we can to get more people to buy a Game Pass subscription versus Xbox Live Go versus just buying, a you know, one video game per month, for example, I mean, all of this is, is really normal. Now, the insider said he felt compelled to leak the document because he and others he knows who work on video games don't feel good about projects that include loot boxes. An EA spokesperson declined an interview request and wouldn't comment on the document, which he noted was marked privileged and confidential. Other than to say it is being viewed without context, and interpretations of what it says are misinformed. When asked to clarify, he did not respond. Now I have to play devil's advocate here. We only saw two slides from this a website that got this sort of news what they call the c C C dot cbc.ca which i think is a canadian news website remember ea has a a a studio up there i think it's in vancouver which is probably why they got this leak plain devil's advocate once again only two slides that they shared on their website out of 54 which shows that you know this is probably being blown a little bit more out of proportion than it needs to be. We're talking about only two slides that really allude to something that may be seen as predatory or aggressive from EA and their team in order to to convert more people into a ultimate team. An EA employee by the name of charlie fortescue said quote all ea games can be played without spending on in-game items and the majority of players do not spend you know this is essentially like saying you know casinos are open to the public you can walk around you don't need to spend money (laughs) like that's how useful that quote is like the way casinos are designed they are designed to to get you to spend money like there are years and years of research that were put in by psychologists and doctors in order to do one thing and one thing alone how can we hack the human brain to encourage someone if they're walking through our casino to at least just go into play one slot machine because the moment you step up to that slot machine you drop you know one token in you put in that one dollar five dollar bill There are so many things that we're going to do in order to get you to stay, whether that's noises and sounds or near misses and things like that. So while it's technically true, there's so many features that are implemented to drive customers to spend money, especially when we think about loot boxes and video games. And a lot of that is the sound, the visuals, all of that is created, you know, the way that the box is sorted. There's like this, this moment of anticipation. You don't know what you're going to get. All of that is done for a reason. Like it's, it's, it's not a mistake. Now, reading this story, funny enough, it reminded me about back in 2019 when EA's vice president of legal and government affairs, Kerry Hopkins, said when she was asked, you consider loot boxes to be an ethical feature of your game. And she said, well, first of all, we don't call them loot boxes. We look at them as surprise mechanics. And it sort of reminded me of that. Now, we've been dealing with this question for a little while in our industry, which is, are loot boxes Gambling. And for me, definitely 100%, they absolutely are. They rely on really predatory tricks in order to encourage repeat customers. Like, there's, I've never seen a moment or a video game is very rarely where they'll, where they will cut you off. Where if you're buying too many loot boxes, if you're buying too many ultimate team packs, it's not like EA has something flashing on the screen that says, Hey, we've noticed that you've bought, you know, you spent $1,000 in Ultimate Team Packs and, you know, 30 days, here's the phone number to Gamblers Anonymous, here's a resource or a website. For example, we haven't seen that coming from EA, right? For Even though the tactics that they employ are in place in order to drive people to become addicted to something like this. And, you know, I'm not going to go over it because we definitely don't have time. (laughs) You know, we're already at 52 minutes, but loot boxes employ a lot of the same tactics as casinos. You know, these things called reinforcement loops, these things called near miss mechanics. If you want to learn more about these, that will be episode number seven of the Camp Koji podcast. So definitely recorded a while ago. It's titled Surprise Mechanics. It's episode number seven, Surprise Mechanics. In that episode, I went over all the tricks that companies use in order to keep you hooked and keep you buying more and more loot boxes you know is it gambling Belgium did ban loot boxes in 2018 EA is currently in the middle of a loot box lawsuit that was filed in Canada last October so uh, their argument is that EA is not only operating an unlicensed gambling business but the company has also been unjustly enriched in the process and it's not surprising why EA doesn't want to stop. According to Nico Partners, EA has earned $1.49 billion in the U.S. alone in 2020 just from their sports titles when it comes to loot boxes, almost triple the $587 million generated in 2015. Now, once again, what's the running theme of episode number 86? Companies will not change unless they are forced to change. So EA will never put up a pop-up that says, hey, we noticed that you're having an issue or EA won't come up and say, hey, we noticed you spent this amount of money from the last week of the last month. You will not be able to buy more Ultimate Team Packs for the next few weeks. They will only do that when they are forced to do it, right? (laughs) The only reason why when you go to buy a pack of cigarettes, it says smoking kills is because cigarette manufacturers were forced to put that on there. There's no way a cigarette manufacturer is going to willingly tell you that, hey, guess what? This product that you're spending $15 a day or a week on will definitely one day kill you. (laughs) They, They only do it when they're absolutely forced to do it. And at this point, the only time a company changes from using loot boxes is when there is a better mousetrap that was built. So we've seen this from a lot of companies. We saw Activision do it with Call of Duty. We saw Epic do it with Fortnite. They did it also to Rocket League, where they changed loot boxes from loot boxes to battle passes. And the advantage of a battle pass, once again, someone built a better mousetrap. I know that Fortnite popularized it. I'm not, I can't stay here and say Fortnite was the company that first started battle passes i don't think that's correct but they're definitely uh, the game that was attributed to its renewed and its amazing success and so many of the companies decided to adopt it the thing about battle passes that makes them so much more lucrative than loot boxes for companies is that battle passes are almost you have a a greater chance of it becoming an expected income resource than a loot box there are too many consumers out there i'm going to put myself into one of them I've been playing Overwatch since the beta. So, you know, for years now, I've never spent a single dollar on loot boxes. I'm not the the customer here. I really don't care that much about skins. I play the game. I I think that Blizzard is actually very generous when it comes to getting loot boxes. You know, I win four or five matches and you know they give me a loot box every time that I level up I've never really had much of a, a, a problem actually in Overwatch I have like 1200 boxes that I haven't opened just because once again I just don't really care that much about that stuff I go and I play the game I use INATA I use a default skin like an OG I'm just not really that big of a person that's big on skins right so I'm not their expected consumer and there are a lot of people like me And then there are a lot of people that may just buy a loot box once in a blue, right? So when Overwatch announces a skin that you really, really want, maybe that's the moment that you buy loot boxes. But that's not enough for a lot of these companies, right? You want expected revenue. You want people, you want to give someone a service where every month they're dropping some sort of money. And that's what battle passes have been able to do. Because if you're playing multiplayer, battle passes are, like I said, just a better mousetrap that's being built so when fortnite stopped doing loot llamas and call of duty activation stopped lo- doing loot boxes it's not because they were nice it's not because they sat down and said guys you know this is pretty much gambling there's a lot of people that are going to get hooked we already have enough real world examples of people spending 10 dollars a month buying loot boxes you know same thing i guess you could say about you know apex legends for example you know when people were trying to chase after certain shoot i forgot what they were called like the certain knife knife i want to say artifacts but this is, this is a special thing in apex Legends. i'm sorry to all the apex legends fans i do not play the game you know you take something that is might be like a once in a blue and put it into a more reliable system that can get you much more expected income. That's why Microsoft loves surfaces, surfaces. Well they do love surfaces because they have the microphone surface, but they love services because it brings in what you what is called for a company expected income. And obviously your job is to try to retain as many people as possible. So you know when when you really think about the paradigm shift we've done as consumer thinking within you know not just the year 2020 but i guess we could talk about the last seven seven to ten years in terms of consumer behavior and consumer patterns when it comes to spending money you notice that pretty much every industry now has a monthly service everything there's a monthly service for you to get bacon every month different types of bacon and different types of wines 20 dollars a month there's Service like that for socks and ties and pay a monthly service and we'll come clean your house four times a month. Just pay $20 a month. Like there's a a monthly subscription (laughs) for literally any and every industry that you can think of out there. And the reason why it's become so popular is, is because it is seen as an expected income for a lot of these industries. Now, does this mean that EA will ever get rid of the ultimate team option? No. I'm going to tell you guys why not. Ultimate Team is just too popular for FIFA. I don't think they've been able to replicate it as much into their other sports, but if I'm a betting man, I'm thinking that EA will actually double down on the Ultimate Team concept, especially when we're talking about FIFA 2021. So as I said, they generated $1 billion in 2020 alone, and that was just in sports titles. So what I think is going to happen is that until that money comes down, they're not going to do something similar like a battle pass for FIFA, for example. Either they're going to be forced to change it, you know, legislation will you know, some big landmark case. I don't think Canada is really it, but maybe a landmark case in the UK or US that will force them to have to make changes to their loot box system or have to put up warnings, you know, like gambling is an addiction. Call this number if you think you or a friend are having problems or things like that, or being forced to limit how many a a person can buy in in a given time period. Or I think it was in China, China enforced that if you sell loot boxes, you have to publicly show the percentages of how often you can actually get an item and i think overwatch i think is one in every 13 boxes you're guaranteed to get a legendary item but in the united states game it doesn't show you that but we know because that data was given over to china and obviously it's maybe adjusted for different regions but probably not by much so companies don't change unless they are forced to change. Now, the reason why I think they're going to double down is that if those sales do not drop for FIFA Ultimate Team, I guarantee you EA is already researching NFTs. And if you're talking about the next level when it comes to FIFA Ultimate Team is allowing people to trade cards. Now, I'm saying this, not even knowing if this feature even currently exists in fifa 2021 i'm going to be honest i do not play the game i'm not a sports game fan but if there's not currently a system to securely trade cards that system is coming on the way and i think for them they look at that as being able to breathe new air into the 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 ultimate team loot box card option or tying it to a physical product for example in order to lessen the predatory practice because loot boxes don't exist as a digital option maybe at some point they're going to start selling physical card packs where you'll be able to you know get a physical card and actually unlock the same thing ultimately now look this this could all essentially exist i'm just being very honest but if they don't have a trading system that's definitely coming because i i I, you know once again they're not just going to stop doing this just a month ago an employee of ea was caught selling specific cards for about thirteen hundred dollars up to two thousand three hundred dollars so an EA ploy was delivering specific cards to specific accounts and making about $1,300, $2,300 per card. This is not really going to go away anytime soon. So once again, I really could see them doubling down and not, once again, no company, no CEO changes unless they are absolutely forced to change. Hot releases for the month, excuse me, for the week. Tomorrow, May 4th, we have Dragon Quest Builders 2 coming to xbox one and it's day one coming to game pass may 5th we have almighty kill your gods that's coming just to pc may 6th we have raiden 4 makado remix coming to nintendo switch same day on may 6th we have skate city that has come to ios pc ps4 xbox one and switch and then finally on may 7th we have the highly anticipated resident evil village coming to pc ps4 PS5, Xbox One, and Xbox Series X. Now it is time to wrap it up. These are stories that we just didn't have time to get to. Stadia announced one of its biggest updates yet since it has launched, a search bar. <laughs> so this was kind of a really funny thing because they tweeted this and it was like this tweet about, hey, we got this great new feature. It's called a search bar. And there's just so many jokes. Obviously you're talking about a company that pretty much popularized the search bar we're talking about the biggest search engine in human history and now is that they finally uh, put in a search bar but i will say if you're thinking to yourself how is it possible that it took them this long remember stadia's library it was very very small i guess it was not something that was a priority for them And, and i'm i'm literally not saying that as a slight to google as a slight to stadia it's just We're just talking facts here. It really sounds like they had that big of a library in order to need a search bar. And uh, also, if you think this is funny, here's actually something that's even funnier. The search bar function is only available for the web store and it's actually not on the official Stadia app. So I'm not sure what it is with Google and not updating everything at once. That company is weird. I'm sorry, Stadia. May you rest in peace. Last week, a Sony state of play gave us over 15 minutes of the new Ratchet & Clank Rift Apart gameplay. It's cool that we got to see this gameplay because I think it was just last week I was talking about how much higher the demand of PlayStation 5 will increase once this game comes out. I've been saying this since they first showed this off. This, to me, is the first next generation game that we've gotten in this history excuse me so far for Xbox or PlayStation 5 because it is to me the first game that does something that is impossible in the last generation which are the dimension hopping and the fact that it can load an entire world which is proven in this 15 minutes I thought just like a lot of people they were just loading a vertical slice or a particular part of a level but they confirmed that when he is jumping dimensions it is loading an entirely new world in about two to three seconds. The game, this is definitely one of the greatest looking games ever, ever created. And uh, this is really the, the advantage that Sony has over Microsoft is that when it comes to their first party, man, they just... They always knock it out of the park and I really, really can't wait for this game to come out. It's actually only just a month away. According to a rumor from Windows Central, IO Interactive is working on a brand new IP for Xbox codename Project Dragon. Sources claim that the game is AAA in scope very early in development. It's a fantasy IP that takes place at a large medieval setting and features dragons. Now, The only part of this rumor that, you know, I usually don't speak about rumors. The one thing that makes me feel like I don't really trust this rumor is the fact that they're saying that the game is being published by Microsoft. That to me sounds kind of weird. I wonder if this was an agreement that was made kind of a little while ago, as we know, you know, Hitman 3 was self-published by IO Interactive. Usually when it comes to publishing deals, that means, excuse me, when it comes to these types of deals, that means that the publisher owns the intellectual property. After everything that IO Interactive went through, I'm sure that that's not something that they would be very interested in, in terms of creating a new intellectual property and having a company own it solely, A, and B, the fact that, then essentially they would not be able to bring it to other consoles. I'm sure if this rumor is true and it pans out, we can definitely expect this game to come out on PC and Xbox. So that's kind of the only issue that I have with this rumor. Obviously, with any rumor, we'll have to wait and see. This was not officially confirmed. But at this point, anything that IO Interactive does, therefore, they're becoming such an amazing developer and a publisher. So best of luck. To them, and you know, we'll see if this is absolutely true. And finally, Riot announced updates to its privacy policy last week that will allow them to record and evaluate reported player voice communications in Valorant. Now, I was just talking about this a few episodes ago. If you guys remember, Intel introduced this bleep technology where you can turn off hearing the N word and all these other different things, and we all had a joke about it. But I said that this technology can actually be used to make this automatic. So it's interesting to see that Valorant is now sort of moving towards that direction. Look, toxic voice chat is a huge, huge problem in our industry. I've, you know, I've been playing Overwatch for a while and I've been saying this for as long as I can remember, which is if I was a female, there's absolutely no way I would ever speak in any multiplayer game because it's just, it's really, really bad. It's so instant more times than not that the moment that you hear a female speak, for example, you know, it's gonna be followed by some, you know, really, really gross remarks. So it's good to see more, more and more companies take this seriously, but I actually have a better solution. So I hope companies are listening to this. So let's say you take Intel's bleep technology and I'm gonna throw out an idea out there, I say you take this technology and you make it automatic. But I use Overwatch as, an as I play Overwatch, and you can do what you can do to curb, you know, pretty much all full communications. Is as a company, you can create an opt-in service where players can volunteer to become human moderators. Obviously, this is one of the issues when it comes to banning and moderation is there are only so many people you can dedicate in your company to moderate voice lines and reports and things like that. This is why you have to use your player base. I'm gonna tell you what you can do as a company. So please take down some notes. Let you all help you out right? So I'm going to use Overwatch as an example. You create an opt-in service where players can volunteer to become human moderators. When a player is reported, when a player is reported by another player, you use AI in order to capture keywords or you capture those keywords automatically. You set up an AI in the back end. The moment someone says the N word, for example, or any type of curse word or something like that, you capture five to 10 seconds before and after. And the same goes when a report. If a report is done that voice file for every player is automatically uploaded to a server or you know if no reports were made then that audio file gets instantly deleted obviously this is all something that's working in the back end a voice file is then uh, created along with transcription and you randomly send it to participants meaning players of your game now Make it so these files can be moderated while waiting for a multiplayer match. In Overwatch, DPS players' average wait time is about seven minutes. Within those seven minutes that you're staring at that low time, imagine how many voice files you can moderate and basically say, yes, this is hate speech, this is this, this this crosses this line, discrimination, blah, 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 blah. You pick a, the, something. After you get about five people that say this was bad, now you can send it to a person at your company to give it that final look over and this can save a ton of time. Then what do you do in the back end? You reward participants. I'm gonna use Overwatch as an example of lead token or access to exclusive profile pictures, skins, or coins or something like that. So players get something in return for helping you. We are at a point in our industry that unfortunately when it comes to voice chat, it's gotten so bad and so big that you're gonna have to crowdsource it. And you're going to have to do something that no other platform has done, which is leveraging people like me who absolutely hate this shit and will want nothing more than these people to be banned and never be able to play the video game again. So please, for the love of God, steal my idea. Before we go, shout out to Capcom. Capcom. Monster Hunter Rise has now shipped six million copies since its March 26th release date. The game has now surpassed Street Fighter V on Capcom's all-time sales ranking list, and is now on track to become Capcom's best-selling single-platform title in the company's history, by the end of may also shout out to sony according to a company quarterly earnings call last week sony has sold 7.8 million ps5 since the console officially launched last november great great job there and finally shout out to nintendo for finally adding online multiplayer to super mario party 935 days after it was released i'll give you a drake quote better late than never but never late is better, do a better job. Thank you so much for joining me. Please follow us on Twitter and Instagram and YouTube at Cat Koji for future updates and videos. Once again, I am Joel and I will see you all next week.